There's a story in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 4, and um, it, it could be easy to miss the point of it. There's a number of things discussed, but the main thing in John 4 is this, I'm going to call it by chance meeting, and it's not, of course. This by chance meeting between Jesus and this this woman. Jesus and his disciples are out sharing, and Jesus feels very impressed that he needs to go to Samaria. Commonly not a journey that any good Jew would take. Most of you know the history. Samaritans and Samaria, the place where they lived, are half-breeds. They are the remnant of the northern kingdom that intermarried and intermixed with the Gentiles. Beginning around the time that the Assyrian nation, the kingdom of Assyria, destroyed them, 721-722 B.C., so for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Samaritans have been this mixed race of Jew and Gentile. They have established themselves in this region called Samaria, and they have a mixed religion. There's a little bit of God in it, but there's a, a whole lot of other stuff. Not uncommon to some of the religions, the belief systems that people have today, where God is mentioned but there's a whole lot of other stuff that kind of clouds things. Jesus feels compelled to go into this village, and, well, he goes into the village in the heat of the day. He sees a woman sitting by a well. He goes over and he begins to speak to her, and John 4 details the conversation, which, which kind of moves around. But he provokes the conversation by telling her that the well that she is beside and is hoping to draw water from is, is never going to satisfy her forever, which would not be shocking to her. It's, it's water. Those of you that have a drink on Monday, don't say this. Well, that's going to be good for the week, right? I've had one glass of water Monday morning. I'll come back next week. I'll have another glass of water, and I'll be good for the week. We realize that that's, that's not really the point that Jesus is getting at. But he draws the comparison between the earthly water that they have to go really down deep to get to eternal water, eternal life, temporal things, things of this world that say that they're going to satisfy you for a while, but really don't, or maybe for a while, but, but not long enough to matter. So Jesus is saying, you're looking for temporal things. You're looking for things that don't really satisfy. I can give you something that will satisfy you forever. That's quite a promise. You know, the, uh, the analogy, if it's too good to be true, it's... That's quite the offer. The cultural setting around this is that men and women in those days and age that weren't related normally didn't have conversations out in public like that. 
Some places in the Middle East today, you still shouldn't do things like that. And so in the midst of this conversation, it surfaces that this woman has been married multiple times, that she has sought fulfillment and solace and safety in a number of relationships. And that hasn't brought any satisfaction. And then it gets kind of, it seems like it gets a little bit off the rails. And she says to him, you know, you Jews say you need to worship in Jerusalem, but our people, my people say that we can worship on this mountain. And then Jesus kind of concludes the conversation that those that worship the Lord must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the conversation kind of bounces around a little bit. She's been with a number of men. Where's the right way or right place to worship? And what's going to bring real satisfaction to my life? And Jesus says that, well, I can offer that to you if you're willing to drink of the thing that I have to offer for you. So it moves around. Jesus is challenging people in John 4 to grapple with their thoughts, to grapple with their, their personal life by asking them to really think about what is it in life that they're after? What is it in life that they're chasing? What is it in life that they think is going to bring fulfillment? And then have, if they've secured that, if they've acquired that, then to ask the question, is it really? And probably every one of us have had to think about that, ponder those thoughts. Maybe when we were younger, maybe it was in our middle ages, maybe it has been recently. But you're asking yourself the question, the path that I put myself on, the things that I think that are important, the things that I think that are going to bring happiness, fulfillment, and joy, are they really doing that? That's, that's a pretty good question to ask yourself. Am I following the right ways, the right pathways? Am I seeking the right things? And Jesus confronts this woman at the well of Sychar, and the conclusion for her is basically this. Well, no, I'm not. You can't really blame her for doing the things that she's been doing. As a woman in those days trying to find security and safety and provision from a man, that's, that's not really the worst thing that you could do. And what she has found is she has moved from relationship to relationship that so far, none of those guys, none of the earthly things have been able to bring fulfillment, joy, peace, happiness to her. And so there she is sitting at the well in the middle of the day because she's been ostracized by the community and she's got this time to think about, is this all there is? Is this the best I can hope for? And I think all of us, if we've come to a place where we've made Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, we've asked those kinds of questions. Is this all there is? Is this is what life has for me? Is there not more? I've 
tasted of this and I've tasted of this and I've chased that and I've chased this and I've bounced all over the things and I've been into one relationship and another or I have been after, you know, uh, this particular pleasure and at the end of the day, many of us have found out that, you know what, that that stuff doesn't satisfy. But we've had to figure that out. Somebody else can't tell you that. Well, here's the thing. They can tell you that, but you and I have to figure that out for ourselves. And by figuring out, it's just that we have to go through the journey of whether or not we can find something in this world that satisfies, or is it really what Jesus said and only Jesus can offer us what satisfies? We can hear it, but we're going to have to sort that out for ourselves. And most of you in the room have sorted that out. That's why you're here. You've put Christ first place in your life. You have dipped your bucket into the well of many other things over the years. And you've drawn them up. And you have, in a sense, drunk from those things. And you've realized that they have come up wanting. And so Jesus is kind of sitting beside you. And you've looked over to him and we've said, yeah, you know what? You're right. Whatever the well of life has to offer, it cannot satisfy me the way God can. And if you haven't done that in the room yet, you're going to be confronted with that. Sooner or later, you're going to be confronted with the clash of the two kingdoms, the kingdoms of God or the kingdom of this world, of this earth. What it is that the the world says or Satan says are the things that satisfy versus what is it that God says that really satisfies. So if you haven't gone down that road, you will eventually. You'll have to make a decision. Now, hopefully you choose for God, but not everybody does. Some people keep lowering their bucket into the well and they're hoping that the next bucket of whatever they bring up is going to be the trick. And they keep lowering the bucket, pulling up, lowering the bucket, and they try this and they try that. Meanwhile, Jesus is still sitting at the side of the well saying, or there's another option. Then we get to the story in John chapter 7. It's a little bit later on in the gospel, and it's at a different time. But Jesus is at the festival of tabernacles. This is the festival that the Jews used to do once a year where they would gather in booths or in tabernacles. And the idea of this feast was it was to remind them of how things used to be when they were on the journey, on the sojourn of of wandering in the wilderness. And they had to live out and, you know, and and rough it out in the the wilderness. That they had this reminder. This was the reminder of, of what it was like. And so Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. And there's this day where the pouring out of water is very significant. And I'm sure that it's tied to the fact that, that finding water in the wilderness when they were on their 40-year journey was so difficult. And I'm sure it's a reminder that Jesus was with them. Uh, God was with them during the journey. That water was always provided for them, even though they were in places where there shouldn't have been water. Whether water was coming from the rock that Moses spoke about, spoke to, and unfortunately eventually struck, or from some other source. It was a reminder of water as being the source of life. And so in this 
in this feast, in, in the middle of all that's going on here, Jesus makes his way to the feast and he offers them this. And let's go to John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood in a loud voice. Now remember the importance of water. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then John explains what this means. What does it mean, rivers of living water? Verse 39, by this he, meaning Jesus, meant the spirit whom those who had believed in him were later to receive. Because up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So in John chapter 4, and we didn't read any scripture, but in John chapter 4, again, most of you know the story. He's at the, he's at the well with the woman at Sychar, and he's offering her something that she could drink that would be better than the water from Jacob's well that will satisfy her forever. But before he kind of nails that down and brings it home, she has some other questions and the conversation moves away a little bit. But eventually Jesus says this, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. In John chapter 7 at the Feast of Tabernacles on the last and greatest day of the feast where water is kind of integral to the celebration. He says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And we're not left any doubt what he's talking about. Verse 39 says he was talking about the spirit. So in John 4, there's hints about the spirit of God. But in John chapter 7, at least to the reader, to those that remember the event, those that are reading about the event after it took place, they are very aware that Jesus is talking about the Spirit. That tells us this, that whatever you're dipping or lowering your bucket into in John 4, and whatever you're pulling out from the world, it cannot satisfy. Jesus makes that clear. He's got something better. In John chapter 7, he tells us, that the reason why lowering your bucket into the, the, the well of life, into the well of this earth can't satisfy is because what satisfies people doesn't come from this earth. It comes from heaven. It comes from God. And he says, that's the spirit of God himself. What really satisfies, what takes away all of the aches and all of the longings is having the life of God because the spirit of God is the pneuma of God. It's the ruach of God. It means the breath of God. It is the life of God in us. Now, isn't it interesting that our dear sister this morning shared some of that, right? Could you say amen? Folks, here's the thing. God is setting the table for you this morning. I started working on this sermon Tuesday. I never do that. I sent my theme to Michelle earlier in the week. Michelle probably almost fell down dead knowing that I had sent that to her, I think, Tuesday and, and not Thursday or Friday. Right? Gina and I haven't talked. I don't even like Gina. We hardly talk at all. <laughs> And Gina is, is, is sharing through the prophetic word the guts of what I got here. 
So I'm standing there thinking, well, maybe God's up to something today. So when I tell you as Christ followers that it's the Spirit of God, it's the life of God that, that satisfies, I'm putting that out there for you. But I mean, it's, it's up to you to drink that in or not. Because it isn't just people like the woman at the well of Sychar that are sometimes lowering their life, the bucket of their life into things that don't satisfy. But sometimes even as Christ followers, we are doing some of the same things. So we're, we're, we're born again now. We've invited Christ into our lives but we find ourselves falling back into habits that we had before we were saved by saying this, I'm glad Jesus saves me, but there are so many things in the world that I still want to experience. Or I'm glad Jesus saves me, but you know what? I, I, I'm not really feeling the life of Christ in me. Christ isn't really thrilling my soul. There are things in this world that I think that might, might temper the hunger and the thirst better than Jesus. So I, I have one foot in the life of Christ and I've got another foot into the life of the world and I find myself kind of bouncing back and forth. And, and the problem with that is that makes you even more unsettled is you're trying to live in, in two worlds at the same time, which is impossible for a Christ follower. So the woman at the well of Sychar confronts the unbeliever and Jesus says, look, you're never gonna find what you're looking for in the world. It's never gonna satisfy. You need to taste Jesus. And then in John seven, we're reminded that what brings the life to us is the spirit of God. And so we are encouraged as Christians to drink deeply of the spirit of God, not just a little bit, not just to sip, but to drink deeply. But we find the Christian sometimes struggling with, well, the world has so many things to drink from. The world has so many things to offer. Well, maybe I'll just, I'll just try this. Let's try a little red. See how this goes. A little red's not bad. Mouth was dry. So we'll, we'll drink a little red for the while. Oh, we'll still come to church. We'll still do our church thing and maybe even do some of our responsibilities. But what we're finding, though, it, it's not really Jesus that thrills my soul. So there may be some things from my past. Or maybe I grew up in the church and there's some things from the world that I never really tasted that I've seen other people do. And I just want to try. Let me just try. You know, I've been going to church since I was a baby. And I never really had a chance to, to taste some of the things that the world offers. So let's, let's, let's try a little yellow here. Hmm. Yellow's not bad. Doesn't seem to be any harm in yellow. It's okay. And we will find ourselves as Christ followers, if we're not really committed to the life of the Spirit, occasionally dabbling in other things. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's continue the conversation through these texts. John 4, John 7. 
Ephesians 5. Beginning at verse 15, but my text is verse 18. Paul's the writer. Church at Ephesus apparently is the target. Verse 15. Paul says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And in a bit... In this verse, he tells us that. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, and always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. I chose the three texts because I really do think that the three texts illuminate our life journey. We, are, we all begin like the woman at the well of Sychar. We're unsaved. We don't know Jesus. We don't know Jesus is sitting beside us. We don't know Jesus has everything that we offer. And we keep dipping ourselves into the well of life, hoping that there's something in there that's going to satisfy forever, and it never does. Some of us are fortunate enough that we, we figure that out. And Jesus says to us, now that you've come to me, I offer you the spirit. Whoever drinks of this water, he says to the woman at the well of Sychar, and he says to us again in John 7, whoever drinks of that water will never thirst again. And so we say, that's what I want. I want something that's going to satisfy me for the rest of my life. And so we we start drinking from the cup of Jesus. We start drinking from the life of Jesus and we're moving our way forward. And then we get to these points. We get to these points in our lives where there are further decisions to make. And Ephesians 5 challenges to that. And Ephesians 5 reminds us of this. It's great that you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and you've learned to worship him in spirit and truth. It's important to understand that it's the Spirit of God that brings the life of the pneuma, the Ruach of God, into our lives. It's, it's good to you know, for you to know that. But it's also important for you to understand that that's not a one-time thing. I can't think of anything that you may have done five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago that continues to satisfy you today. Can you? that the experience is the same today as it was the first time. When I was a kid, sticking with the illustrations here, when I was a kid and started to make money, one of the, the things that I remember was A&W root beer. <laughs> my mom and dad, like many of your parents, when I was growing up in the 60s and the early 70s, my mom and dad you know, weren't making money for, for fast food places, and Subbury didn't have many of them in those days. So for us to go to an A&W and park the car and roll the window down and have them come up and, you know, take your order, that was a big deal. That was a big deal for our family. But I remember when I started making some money, probably doing some summer jobs and things like that, and I started to buy the gallon jugs of A&W root beer. Do you remember those, the glass ones? Anybody old enough? You're all old enough, yeah. <laughs> and I used to buy the, the gallon jugs. 
Now, when I went with my parents once in a blue moon and I had like a, you know, a, a medium cup of that, it wasn't too bad. Do you realize that if you drink almost a gallon of that in a few sittings, that that's fairly sweet? Yeah, some of you are looking like, hey, to figure that out, Brent. You gotta remember, I was just a kid, right? But I would buy the gallon jug and it was so big back with, in the, the good old days with the old refrigerators, there was no place to put it in my parents' fridge. And to be honest, I didn't really want to because I didn't want them drinking it anyways. Because <laughs> like, it was like gold, eh? This is, this is nectar here. But you know what? It was only after a couple of occasions of doing that and I realized I don't want to do that anymore. It really is sweet. So I quit buying it. And, you know, so then we move on to, well, what's the next thing that's going to satisfy? What's the next thing? So here's the next thing. A buddy of mine lived a couple of doors over, a couple of streets over. He lived in this big house that was out on the highway, faced the highway. And him and I would get together every once in a while, and that's back in the days where you could return pop bottles for deposit, and we'd gather up all the pop bottles we could find, and we'd go to the store, which was just off to the, uh, the west of his house, and we'd buy the, the big leader pops and some potato chips. And we'd get together every once in a while, like on a Saturday, and we'd just drink that stuff up and chew that stuff down. Do you know what? You can only do that so often, too. And we, we, we stopped doing that after a while because we found that at first it was kind of fun and interesting and it gave us a bit of a kick. But again, it kind of wore off. Now, I know what some of you are thinking and shame on you. You're thinking, well, Brent, that now that you're getting older, you're going to talk about some of that other stuff like the alcohol and the wacky tobacco and all that stuff, Right? But I mean, I never really got into that stuff. Tried some of that stuff, never really got into that stuff. It was never like my, my thing. So I was never chasing that stuff. But one of the things that I certainly wasn't chasing was I wasn't chasing God at all. And like anybody else that was younger, just trying to figure out what is it in life that's going to satisfy? What is it in life that I want to pursue? Like, what is the rest of my life going to look like? And I went through all of those struggles, and I eventually got that sorted out when I was in university, and I gave my life to Christ. I fully surrendered to Christ, and I said, here, I've done all the other things that I thought were going to be really cool and brought satisfaction and all that. None of that ever satisfied. It just kind of, it came and it went. And at the end of the day, when I was alone with my thoughts, like many of you were, or are today, when you're alone with your thoughts and you're asking yourself, is this really what I hope life would be all about? The answer came up, no. And the song that we sang today describes it well, right? There must be something more than this. But like at the woman at the well of Sychar in John 4, it's like, there must be, but I have no idea what that is. And so here we are now as Christ followers and we've found the answer. We know what the answer is. Jesus is that. Jesus is the one that satisfies. But as a Christ follower, when we're on the journey, there are times when you say this. Well, there still must be more than this. I remember the, the joy of my salvation. 
I remember what it was like when I first got saved and I couldn't tell people about Jesus fast enough and that was a good thing and that was a long time ago but you know what? A lot of that passion has worn off and I couldn't wait to go to the house of the Lord but a lot of that passion has worn off and I couldn't wait to help out but a lot of that passion has worn off and I love to give my tithes and my offerings but a lot of that passion has worn off and, and I used to do this and I used to do that but you know what? It just seems like a lot of that passion has worn off. Nothing seems like like it was. And I think that's everybody's experience. I don't think that makes you a bad person at all. I think all of us get to that where it just, it wasn't what it was. And you can't live in a past experience. So Ephesians 5 tells us this, folks. If you're going to drink of the living waters, you have to keep on drinking. You can't have a drink on Monday and then say, well, you know what? Six months from now, six years from now, 16 years from now, I think I'll have another drink. Well, you know, there's... <coughs> There's life. But I only need to drink once in a while. There is a big difference. There is a huge difference between going to church and being filled with the Spirit of God. One isn't necessarily exclusive of the other, necessarily, but it can be. And what's happened to some of us is we are just living our lives at home and we go to church once in a while and we realize, well, you know what? There's nothing really thrilling about all of that, but that's kind of what I know and that's kind of what I do. So the zeal, the passion for God has kind of waned and I'm, I'm doing the job thing or the family thing because that's what I got to do. But, but I don't really find myself excited about walking with God or living for God or doing anything for God. And so what happens to some of us, we start doing this again. We start dipping back into the things that we used to do, hoping that something else will give us a charge. That's what's going on here in Ephesians 5. Why does he say to the church at Ephesus, don't get drunk on wine? He is saying that because there are people at Ephesus that had tasted of the Lord, had seen that he was good, but somewhere during the journey had lost their touch with God and they were dipping back into the things that they used to do when they were unsaved because they were looking for that charge of that thrill again. And what was happening was instead of being under the control of the Spirit of God, they were under control of spirits. Not necessarily evil spirits, but alcoholic spirits. They had given up the real thing for the artificial. And so Jesus reminds us through the Apostle Paul's writing that there are all kinds of things that you can fill yourself up with. Those choices are still yours today as a Christ follower. There's all kinds of things that you can fill yourself up with. There's all kinds of things that you can chase there's all kinds of options out there. But I think it's still true, like the woman at the well of Sychar, you can keep trying this stuff out, and it's never going to satisfy. Whatever those things represent to you, whatever the distractions are, whatever the things are that you're filling your life up with that really have nothing to do with God, you can keep doing that. You can keep sipping, you can drink, you can guzzle, you can muzzle. I mean, you can do it forever and ever, amen, kind of thing, and they're never going to satisfy because they were never meant to satisfy. So Jesus, through the Apostle Paul's writing, says this, you and I need to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but keep on being filled with the Spirit. 
If you take the Greek language and you were to take that out word by word in our English, this it says, instead be filled with the Spirit. It would say this more literally, instead keep on being filled with the Spirit. The, the idea of this is, is the Apostle Paul is telling us it's not a once, it's not a once and for all thing. If you're born again, you've all tasted of the Spirit. You're born again by the Spirit of God. No, but nobody's arguing that. But the Bible tells us that we need to keep on being filled with the Spirit. And the way this is written for us in the original language, in the Koine Greek, it is basically saying this. God does the filling, but you're the willing vessel. You can't fill yourself up with God. But God can fill you up with himself. Keep on being filled with spirit. So ask yourself this question. What are you doing in life? What are you actively doing in your life now as Christ followers that is creating that time where God is filling you up? Are you actively pursuing being filled with the Spirit. In other words, you understand that, as I like to say, we leak. You've heard me say that more than once. We leak. So because we leak, you've got to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Now, we leak for a number of reasons, and I'll wrap this up in a few minutes. We leak for a number of reasons. Some of, we leak sometimes just because of life. Sometimes life is just hard. And so you're dipping into the pool of the Holy Spirit. You're dipping into God and you're spending time with God because sometimes there are just things in life that are difficult and challenging. And in, in your flesh, they wear you out. So you gotta keep on drinking. You gotta keep on being filled with the Spirit. Sometimes there's spiritual activity. There's spiritual warfare or you're just involved in the trenches and that takes a spiritual toll. That's okay. We leak. Because we're, we're expending energy. When you fill up your car, and you, you, know, you put the, the $50 bill in, or if you got a truck, you put the $100 bill in, and you drive down the road, you know, seven, 800 kilometers, and the gas gauge goes to E, but you're seven or $800 down the road, you don't, you, don't, you don't get out of the car, or out of the truck, go into your back toolbox, take out your 357 Magnum, and shoot your truck. And then your wife says, well, why'd you shoot the truck? Well, it ran out of gas. Well, honey, it took us for seven, 800 kilometers. Oh, right? When you're involved in spiritual activity, you expend fuel, you expend spiritual fuel. We leak, and so you need to, to keep on being filled with the Spirit. You're burning spiritual energy. You can't say, well, I filled up five years ago and I'm good to go now for the rest of my life. If that were true, Paul wouldn't have said, keep on being filled with the Spirit. And some of us, unfortunately, there's sin. There's sin. We're living in sin. We're flirting with sin. We're doing sinful things that we ought not to be doing. And anytime you keep on doing stuff like that, that becomes persistent activity behavior. What happens is, is you begin to quench the Holy Spirit. You begin to grieve the Holy Spirit. And the only way around that is confession and repentance in order to move forward again. And then taking the time to say, God, fill me up. 
So the Apostle Paul says to us, keep on being filled with the Spirit. There's all kinds of reasons why we leak. Some of them are good reasons. Some of them are not very good reasons. But the idea is that you and I need to keep on being filled. Or church is just going to be church. Worship is just going to be songs. Prayer is going to be when will he be done? Church activity will be, oh, the kids are so loud. Reaching out to the lost will be, why bother? They're all so evil. But when the Spirit of God comes into us, it's not just spiritual um, energy, but it's the life and the love of God himself so that we move in the power of the Spirit with the compassion and the love of God and we are revitalized to the cause of God, which again, Gina, through the word, shared with us, right? Our calling is to go and love the ones that we think are unlovable, to reach out to the lost. Yeah, we need to take care of ourselves. That's true too. But to go and reach out to the lost. So folks... We are in one of those three areas. If, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're in John 4, you're in a Samaritan village sitting at a well and you've been staring down into it, drawing up things that are never going to satisfy. If you're at the Feast of Tabernacles, if you're at that place, you're at the place of, well, I understand Jesus is the one who brings me the spiritual life. It's the Spirit of God that brings the life of God into me. But you can't stay there either. You've got to move over to Ephesians 5 where you and I understand the importance of, of continuing to be filled with the Spirit. And I would suggest to you that that means, and I conclude with this, that that means intentional moments with God. Intentional moments with God. Obviously, that's the Word. Obviously, that's prayer. Obviously, that's worship. But I'll tell you, the church plays a significant role with that. 